Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. He doesn't plan on writing a book to chronicle all his incredible experiences over the past 50 years covering Minnesota sports, but we've convinced him to do something even better, to share his greatest stories in auditory form right here. We wanted to call this a Prairie Home Curmudgeon. But legal nixed it. So we proudly present the best stories from the mind of Patrick Royce, titled Royce Rambles. Here's Judd Zogad. All right, welcome to another edition of Royce Rambles. And uh, Patrick, today we're going to delve into something that should be a lot of fun because you've certainly met a lot of these people. Characters throughout the years. I'm going to just let you start here because I don't know where you want to start. But think, characters. I think you. Uh, I think you brought this up because of a dark star story or two, and of course he's high, high, high on the list. <laughs> I figured uh, dating back to uh, 1985, I had I had never met the guy, and uh, was George Chapel's his name. He was working at Jelco Leasing at the time, which was a company that his dad was in on when it started, and. Uh, Joe and I were doing Monday Night Sports Talk, and you, of course, are aware of the attitude that took place on Monday Night Sports Talk. Very much so. So uh, this fellow called in the show, and he said, uh, I'm very mysteriously said, I'm Dark Star, <laughs> and I have a scoop for you. I'm not exactly sure those were the words, but Bud Grant is going to resign again. And this was not, this had not been hinted that Bud was in it. There was about a week to go in the season, I think, maybe 10 days. I'm not sure exactly the date. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Joe and I, in the attitude of when thinking that this guy was a lunatic but not caring, in the attitude of the show, said, well, there you got it. Bud Grant's quitting. He's <laughs> over. Bud Grant's going to resign. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it'll be made official here shortly <laughs> because we got it on a good authority, Dark Star. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, and the Vikings denied it. Uh, the next Bud denied it. Every Sid, of course, denied it because we made enough. And Monday Night Sports Talk was had a big enough cult that it became a topic of conversation, even pre-social media days. Yeah. And everybody denied it. And a week later, he quit. Mm-hmm. You know, right after the season, he quit. And then, of course, we went with it. And Suits wrote a column for the Pioneer Press about how this – Character Dark Star had replaced Sid as the number one scoop, <laughs> scoop master in the Twin Cities. And then we went with it and got to know him. And then he'd call in. And and then all of a sudden, he was, uh, you know, I I'd had conversations with him. And in uh, uh, the Dark Star name, he came from a horse. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think won the Kentucky Derby in a huge upset. I can't remember who would beat Gallant Man or somebody like this. Dark Star, I'd have to look it up. So, and he was telling me how he used to be a horse handicapper at the L.A. Herald Examiner or something. So that 
this is when the both newspapers are all in on Canterbury because it had only opened in 85, I believe. So this is the second year, 86. Yep. And our uh, main, so we in St. Paul were running the same thing that the Star Tribune was, a main handicapper and then a selection box with three other guys making picks. And uh, our main handicapper got a little bit of difficulty and got fired, Danny, the great Danny Tata. And so they moved Phil Marutis, who was a great handicapper, out of the selection box and made him the main handicapper. And we needed a third handicapper, and this was like Tuesday. And the horse, they ran, I think, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. So they needed it basically for Thursday paper, Wednesday paper. I don't know. There was like 24 hours to find a guy. And the sports editor then was Roy Hewitt. And I said, well, I know this guy who says he used to be a handicapper for the L.A. Herald Examiner and uh, called up dark. And I said, do you really, are you, do you really know how to, <laughs> do you know anything about horses? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm great. I'm, you know, yeah, sure. So, you know, I think he called in his, I think they had to be in like the next day's paper and he called in his picks at night and. Yeah. So I go out to the track that day. I was going out there quite a bit then to hold the hand of this guy that I don't even know if I'd met him yet. I think I had, but hold. And he goes oh for nine right off the bat. <laughs> he goes oh for nine, and I'm saying you never saw a horse race in your life. Well, then after that, he was such a schmoozer that he'd start talking to the train. He'd go over and buy drinks for the trainers over at the Canterbury little hotel yeah. there, Winter Sports Bar, and he'd get some tips and he. Started picking some winners and and uh, and all of a sudden he's calling Steve Cannon on WCCO from the track with updates that Cannon doesn't even want really. <laughs> but all of a sudden he's on CCO and he kind of moved maneuvered his way in and uh, became what he is today. The all timer was uh, he was he started. He got himself the Dark Star Sports Sports Show mm -hmm. on K A N O, that little station up at Anoka that's been around forever doing sports yep. at Dilly's Sports Bar in some basement in Anoka, in some restaurant basement, Dilly Sports Bar, and he convinces me to come up and appear with him, right? Right. And for the uh, Dark Star Sports, and I said, "Well, I'm on, I'm on KSTP," and he said, "Well, nobody knows it." You know, don't worry about it. I show up. Yeah. He's not there. Bill Ward is hosting the show, our old buddy, because Dark's on CCO filling in that <laughs> night. He's competing against the Dark Star show that night. Uh, because So I drive up the rush hour traffic yeah. to Anoka, which is the damnedest place to get to in rush hour traffic, and he's not on the show. What a beauty. And meanwhile, he's on another station. He's on CCO. <laughs> and, you know, he was, if, but if CCO called, he was he was available. You know, he was, that's, that's he, he wiggled in there, and uh, and that's, you know, he, he, he used the track to, uh, and then he became the, I don't know, was by the end of the first year, or at least by '87, he did the Canterbury Park Report. You know the, yeah. the Canter that was Canterbury Downs. Then actually, the Canterbury Downs. Right. You know they had a half hour TV show. Load them up, let them rip. You know, Darky, you remember that? Yes. The, yeah. Yeah. So he, he all, all of a sudden he talked himself into that out at the track too with the 
whoever the heck owned it there. I think the original owner still owned it, but he talked himself in and he just wanted to be somebody, you know, he wanted to be, even though he used a false name and nobody yep. knew who he was, he, he wanted to be a, he wanted to be a celebrity and hell, he, you know, he got, he ingratiated himself with the polo, with Carl Polat too. They got him an interlock in him. There was about a, there was a waiting list of about three years to get in the interlock, and they walked him right in. He passed up all these hotshot businessmen. He got an interlock oh. membership in about twenty minutes. You got to tell the uh, the dark story about the uh, Norm Green column. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's my favorite. That will always be the my favorite memory of this guy. He is a beauty. Uh, well, the, that and the table that he had sent to my front door was the other one, but. Uh, the, uh, you know, he and I are buddies by Norm, by 91, you know, yep. and Norm's in the, and Norm and I were getting along great, you know, he'd call me at home when they weren't drawing anybody early that year, so Norm and I were fine, but uh, a few jokes about the dogs once in a while, but we were fine. Right. But now they reach the Stanley Cup Finals, it's a miracle, what were they, 15th in the point standing, something yeah, like that? Yeah, they were I mean, awful. I mean, they were awful. That team wasn't good. Yeah, and they're they're in the finals, and they beat Pittsburgh opening night, and then they lose, and they come home, and I find out. And Norm has been putting the playoff games on pay per view. Yes. Uh, what what was it? Just some they created some like little, Stars Vision or something. Yeah, yeah, something like. But that. yes, all they, they were so, all on pay per view at home. So and the people are going crazy and chanting Norm, 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 and 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 now I find out he's going to do that for the Stanley Cup final. I say, okay, this is this this is ridiculous. And I wrote Norm. I was the first guy to write Norm Greed, mm -hmm. and I wrote the Norm Greed column and just buried him, you know, just assaulted him. <laughs> and uh, and this is in the uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, then they win the game three. Mm -hmm. and they take a two one lead, and Norm, 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 and we're going to win the cup. And now I'm driving home, and Darkie's doing uh, midnight to three. So it's twelve thirty. You get done hacking and driving home. Turn on dark show like I always did. And the topic of the day is: Does the Twin Cities really need a negative sports columnist like Patrick Ricey? And this terrible column, is, <laughs> this terrible column, he's written about our guy Norm Green, yeah. who, by the way, had Dark sitting in a booth up there with him a few <laughs> times. Dark was sitting. He Dark schmoozed himself into up there with the Hollywood stars a couple of times. Remember Norm flying yeah. it? Oh yeah, flying it. Hey, so Dark's up there go taking bows with Norman. So I used to, I had the number that he would answer inside, and you know when he was on the air. This was not cell phone days, obviously. So I call him during the break, and I said. Hey, that's a really good show you got going there tonight, Darky. And he says, "Isn't it great? They hate you." <laughs> and then he and I probably had lunch the next day. I yeah, know, but I loved him. And then the other one was <laughs> he was one day. Uh, oh, this is three years before he died. He was he'd become a uh, his buddy Eric Hallstrom, who now runs Canterbury, was running New Orleans, and he'd go down to New Orleans to the fairgrounds. Then he, be, he he was an antiquer, believe it or not. He was a, a, a rat pack and a yeah. antiquer, and a, and he'd go to all those old. If you've been in Bourbon, you know a block off Bourbon Street, there's all those antique yes. shops, and he was he'd go down there and roam around those. And and uh, one day, 
on our front step at in our house in Golden Valley, there's a big box and open it up and there's this table, there's an antique table there, and it's addressed to me. I said, Katie, why why'd you order this? She said, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, and then about a day later, Dark says, you get a table? <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, we got a table. He said, I'll come over and pick it up. That's for me. So I, I don't know what went on, but apparently some guy collapsed in one of these antique stores. And Dark's back there sh- wandering around shopping, expensive stuff. You know? Yeah. And uh, and somebody yells, is there a doctor in the house? And Dark says, yeah, me. <laughs> so he comes out there, and the guy's apparently having diabetic shock. and. Dark says, get him a glass of orange juice. So somebody runs across the street, gives him a glass of orange juice. You know, Dr. Brown, he says his name is or something. He saves the guy's life, according to him. And and so they offer him something. You know, the, the owners are so grateful right, that right. Dr. Brown, they <laughs> offer him something. They offer him something. And... Uh, and uh, he said, oh, there's a nice table back here. So I don't know what it was, some $600 little table yeah. that they yeah, shipped up to me. <laughs> Why he shipped? I guess because he couldn't have him ship it to Dr. Brown because there was no oh, Dr. Dr. Brown. Brown to ship it to. So he said, hey, send it to my friend here or whatever his name oh. is. And, they, that's right. and then if they found out it was all a scam, they didn't want it to be traced to him. Right, right. Something. It would be just traced back to your <laughs> house. Yeah, <laughs> He got his table. I don't know. He was a guy. What a beauty. And then he put the steam room in, in his a house, in an apartment that he rented. Yes. He put a steam room in. In the shower, he put a steam room in. And I've always said, we could have been the first internet sensation. Mm-hmm. Him at about 280, me at about 310 with mm-hmm. towels around us doing a podcast from the steam room. From the steam room? room? <laughs> <laughs> I think we could have owned... America, if we oh uh, that, YouTube, you would have been enormous successes. <laughs> in enormous, in oh the, yeah, in, in many the, ways, in many ways, yeah. How did he get the okay to put the steam room in? Is what I want to know. Oh, an apartment complex. They didn't care. He paid it for himself. You know, he paid like twenty five grand to have it put in. They didn't care. They figured it increased the value of the apartment when they rented it. Oh. And he also he did something else. Oh, he had the he also had the eighty inch TV put in. Mm-hmm. It. You know, the, it's just a normal sized living room in an apartment. He had an eighty inch TV. You were like, ah! <laughs> you know. And then he got the Maserati too. You know, so that was a beauty too. Man alive, he's, he uh, he liked. He had very expensive. He had some money, but he had very <laughs> expensive tastes. I don't know. I don't know. It was, uh, but I miss him every day. I'll tell you that. Not every day, but every day. There's a some big sports event on. I find myself right wanting to. Call. Well, we used to go watch boxing and stuff, oh, right? Boxing, you know, a lot boxing. Of stuff. I mean, he'd be over at the house every. He'd come over and watch the Sopranos after we did the TV show every every Sunday night yeah. there for years, and he'd come and he'd he'd bring the steaks. And hand them to Katie, and then when we got back from the TV show, and these steaks were like the size of your head, you know. And he was just a beauty. Last time, I think that last time I saw him, I told you about it. I'm over there watching a fight with another friend of his, Stevie Randall, and the pizza guy comes, and he says, hey, Billy or something. Grab a couple of beers. You know, he knows the name of the pizza guy. Who knows the name of the pizza delivery guy? But it's not surprising he did. Oh, no. He had a guy. Very dark. Listen, you and I 
were uh, would be house builders compared to him. Mm-hmm. We've always talked about how sports writers are the biggest klutzes ever. Yep. He could not do anything. He, he had a girl Friday at the complex mm-hmm. who paid his bills and and took his money to the bank and and did everything. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He was he had life figured out. He was. You know, he did yeah, not do not married anything. too, and he still got away with no, doing I'm nothing because sure he, had he wanted do the oil. Stuff. I'm sure if he wanted the oil changed, that he'd give the gal the keys and she'd go fill it up. Oh. With oil, yeah. He was a, he's a, he's a unique individual to say the least. And when he died, what you found out is, you know, I thought I knew him as well as anybody. He had like four lives. You know, he had the Washington D.C. live and. The, well, you saw he these had, people came in, right? For people the funeral? came in from all around the country who were his buddies, who he'd see occasionally. But he he'd created all these different different lives. And my wife's uh, my wife's girlfriends were never big fans of him. You know, they were kind of some media type people, and he was always in the media, considered shifty. And they used to say, "My girlfriends are always asking me, how come you and he are buddies." And how do you know when he's lying to you? And I used to say, what difference is that? <laughs> <laughs> they're great stories. Yes. I don't care if they're true or not. Well, And you said he, what? His, oh, by his the jet? way, the, the Bud Grant scoop, yeah. Mike Lynn's brother was drinking out at the Lafayette Club. Oh. And that's how he got it. And he, he was a member of the Lafayette Club, and he was drinking with Mike Lynn's brother, okay. Robert. And Robert Robert said, yeah, Bud's going to quit again, like on Wednesday. So he called us up with it. That was it. That well, was that's where, okay, I never knew where it came from. Yeah, yeah Mike Lynn's huh? brother was hammered out at uh, Lafayette. Or I'm not saying he was hammered, but he was drinking yeah. in the dark. So. And you said that his uh, dark's jazz knowledge was... Oh, but m- m- old rock and roll. Okay. Oh, oh, 1950, All right. doo-wop. And, yeah, because at his memorial service, we got I lined up this doo-wop band, doo-wop group to sing sure. sing songs for him and stuff like that. He loved doo-wop, and he loved that 50s. But there was, he could not, he could not be stumped on boxing mm-hmm. from after World War II and, and rock and old-time rock and roll. 50s, 60s rock right. and roll and blues and, and uh, Motown and all that stuff. He was 100%. So if Dark's atop, atop this list, who's next? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't cover him on a daily basis, but uh, Jerry Burns is uh, as good a guy as is, is a favorite of mine. I, I love Gary. Calvin, you know, Calvin mm-hmm. is, Calvin's, I, I would guess, I suppose it has to be Calvin because of his station in life. You know, I mean, uh, Burns, he's a coach. There's a lot of goofy coaches. Sure. But, uh, you know, Calvin owned the team. He brought it here, and he was a hillbilly of all time. I mean, he was just a, he was just a, uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if Uncle Clark hadn't brought him and Thelma to Washington from the Robertson family in Montreal, I don't know what Calvin would have been doing for a living, but I don't think it would have been owned a baseball team. So because he, he was a he was a what well, I don't want to call him a dumb guy, but he was a he wasn't very worldly for a baseball owner. But he was he was a, I got to be real good buddies. The first couple of years it wasn't good; it was ugly. But later on, uh, it, it turned out okay. He 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 and I got along good. But uh, hell, he used to after he quit. Mm-hmm. I mean, after he got bought out, he uh, 
We used to have a big grudge match out at Fountain Valley. Uh, Sherm Feller, the cook from the the old cook from uh, the Twins room at the at Met Stadium, and me would take on Billy and Jimmy Robertson in a golf match out there about once once or twice a summer, and play for dimes, you know, sure. quarters if you missed a short putt or stuff. Jimmy kept the book working. I mean, it was just to spend a day with Jimmy was was hilarious. That's why we did it, but. Calvin would get a cart and be our gallery. He had nothing to do. He's out there watching his really? twin, twin, twin brothers play golf in Fountain Valley. He's got <laughs> nothing else to do with life. So that's, I mean, that's the kind of, he was, uh, he was uh, really close to those brothers. He was, uh, you know, but he was, uh, there's a million stories about about him. Uh, I, I don't know. I remember once I was trying to, I was covering them when they were going to trade crew. And I remember, Going out to see him that winter, and and the Yankees wanted him. You know, the mm-hmm. Yankees wanted him, and he says, "I'm not trading him to the Yankees unless I get Guler or Gooder, which was Gullet or Gooder. Guler or Gooder. He was the worst with names in the history of man. He was just unbelievable. But he also was a guy. You know, he and Sid had this love hate relationship, but Sid, in the end. Loved him because he could always beat him up to get him to tell him what he wanted. To do. Mm-hmm. Calvin could not. If you know, Calvin, I can't talk to you about that. And, and I never had the relentlessness of Sid. I, you know, if he'd say, ah, "I'm not talking about that," I'd pretty much respect it. Maybe right. ask if one follow, but Sid had beat him bloody until he'd tell him exactly what he wanted to know. You know, so he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was a. Good guy in a unique sort of way, but uh, of course the, the whole Wasika speech that that he made that 1978 that pretty much ruined his reputation for life and uh, made him, a, you know, labeled a racist and a sexist and all those things. Which you know he was a man of the 30s and 40s, right. but he was, uh, you know, he was uh, that was kind of a sad deal. But then he was not not at his sharpest. And that was Nick Coleman was there for the Nick Tribune. Nick Coleman was there with his former uh, father-in-law. He was just down there visiting relatives, and they said, he said, hey, Calvin, speak at the Lions Club. You want to go up and listen to him? And then Calvin got a few cocktails at him, and he said something goofy, and they laughed. So then he, oh, hey, I have an audience. They think I'm funny. So then he yep. just rambled around. It was supposed to be off the record, but Nick was, well, nobody even thought of Zeno was off the record because they didn't. There wouldn't be any media at a Lions Club meeting in Waseca. Sure. So that's that's how that came about. But, hey, I don't blame Nick. <laughs> no, if you hear that, no. yeah. Yeah, you got to write it. Calvin, the uh, as far as people in this town goes, best all-time quote probably, just because you could get so oh, much yeah. out of them. When Charlie Walter started writing his now amazingly successful notes column at uh, the Pioneer Press, and I was still there, I think 81 or 2 maybe. Is that what it was? I don't know, 82 and I said, Charlie. And Charlie was going to do that, and he had that quote of the day to end it or something. Mm-hmm. And I said, Charlie, when in doubt, all Calvin. In other words, any topic. Any topic. <laughs> Politics, you know, current events, mm-hmm. you know, anything. Call Calvin. And he's, he's, I bet if you look up Charlie from the day he started writing <laughs> his column till the day Calvin died, he probably... Calvin was the quote of the day more than anybody, I mm-hmm. would bet, because he, he would say something. 
Uh, the great Calvin story is uh, when the Challenger blew up. You know, he was living and uh, he was he had this spot down in Melbourne. He had a, a nice condo on the beach in Melbourne with a deck out there, and it's eight miles down the river, down this coast. Right. You know, right. And uh, Calvin always went out and watched the space shuttles go up. And he goes out and it's a beautiful blue day and. It goes up in the air, and Calvin admires it for a while and goes in and makes himself a sandwich, and the thing blows up. And uh, Clarky, his son, calls him and says, Dad, did you see it? Did you see it? And uh, and Calvin said, Yeah, she went up just beautiful as heck. And, and Calvin, Clark says, Dad, it blew up. It blew up. He said, Really? Well, I had to come in and make a sandwich. I guess I missed some damn history. He <laughs> said, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> so, oh. yeah, he was. Uh, he was in unique. Burnsy, he was. You, did you, you never got Burnsy, did you? You never had a chance. Um, tail, tail, tail end, tail, but yeah. no, n- not He's to see funny, the funniest guy of all time. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here. Check out my brand new podcast, Two Week Notice, where we discuss the process of quitting your job and living a more fulfilling life. I want you living the dream. Find Two Week Notice on my website, jaredsebesta.com, or subscribe on iTunes today. Man, one of the best media sessions of my life was Lynn. Remember the year they were one and six? And then they had a five-game winning streak. It was was it Brad Johnson or his quarterback? And then they got hot. And yeah, I don't, this has got to be the late eighties, right? Okay. And it looks like they're buried. Mm-hmm. And I think Wangy was governing for the St. Paul paper, but uh, he decided to have him practice. And they were going to play in Tampa, and it was the game where Vinny Testaverde rushed for like a hundred fifth, scrambled for hundred fifth, the slowest man in America. Yeah. Scrambled. And they got beat. I think they ended up six and ten. I can't remember what year it was. But uh, Birdsey, they practicing in Orlando, and then there was really no locker room to. So we're going to interview Birdsey back at the hotel. Merrill Swanson was still a PR guy, and he had a bathtub full of beer upstairs. And we went up to interview Birdsey to get some post practice right insights. Yes, and Birdsey started telling stories. Like two and a half hours later, uh, nobody's asked him a question about anything that happened today, you know. And now it's about eight thirty at night <laughs> Eastern time. You're up against deadline. Eight thirty at night, and Bursey goes in, goes in the bathroom. There's no beer left. Bursey says, "Boys, when the beer runs out, the BS stops." <laughs> and he starts going down the hall, and we're saying, "Bursey, Bursey, <laughs> we don't know anything. We don't know anything about what happened today. Give us two hours." I'll remember, you know, so, but it was uh, hysterical. I wish I had a tape recorder that day, man. I tell him about the Iowa, his Iowa Hawks yeah. days, you know, and the Marty days and just, just hysterical because there isn't a coach from the end of World War II until of the, all those old legends, Paul Brown and Vince and all those guys that he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't know everything about all of them. He's a, right. He should have, he never wrote a book he should have written a book, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Well, he was Bursey. on Lombardi's staff in Green Bay, yes. right? Yeah, he was the uh, defensive backs coach there. He was uh, not the uh, – and then he came here and Bud hired him as the offensive guy. So, okay. Yeah. 
Oh, his book. He would have could have had a tremendous book. You know what's uh, you know what's amazing though about. I think we all have these idea that if guys coach together forever, they're they're like big inseparable buddies. Yep. You know, like Stelly and Kelly. Stelly and Kelly were together for all those years. You know, from the minor leagues, Rich Rick Snellmazic and Kelly. I don't know if they ever had dinner together. You know, Stelly go out with his guy maybe once in a while. Well, Twice a year, maybe, but it wasn't like right. They weren't and, best buddies. And, and Birdsy and Bud the same way. You know, Bud hunted and Birdsy played golf, and they never. I don't think their wives might have never met each other. For all we know, maybe at a meeting. That's interesting. A, yeah, you know it is. There's yeah, a, there is this idea that coaches are right. But they're like the rest of us. You know, you don't necessarily aren't big buddies of the people. Not going to hang that out. You with work them. with, but I think there's. Because it's sports, somehow there's this teamwork perception, but Bernsey and Bud had nothing. They used to, I know Bernsey used to tease Bud about hiding in a, hiding in the blind to shoot birds and stuff, and, and Bud would tease him about chasing a ball around the place. But uh, to uh, Bud Bernsey, wonderful guy. Bud is interesting. He's a good character, too. But I, I, I fought against that all the time because he was treated with such reverence. Right. When I was younger, I used to try to agitate him as best I could. But then I realized, hey, he's completely unique and mm-hmm. should be appreciated. I saw he's already planning the 2017 garage sale. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Shooter he's... had that note. May, <laughs> May, the dates are picked. May of 2017. Hey, now, and just think, when they move from... Winter Park, the Egan. Yep. How much stuff they're going to throw away that Bud can then throw in? <laughs> you might even use it. Bottle. There are a lot of people going through bottle, the dumpsters. Bottle have bricks from Winter Park and sale. It is uh, what a beauty. Where does uh, Sonmore factor into all oh, this? He, the picking Sonmore up story out of the snow is one of them. Yeah, that's. A, but uh, you know, I'm I'm not Mister Hockey, right? But I would go as a columnist. The ten or twelve North Star games a year, just because of Sonmore, just to just to get the BS from Sonmore, and you always wanted him to win because mm-hmm. he would be in these storytelling, jovial moods, and but cause about deadline problems. I remember hauling my fat rear end up to that Met Center press box at ten forty-five to hack out a column <laughs> in forty-five minutes because we'd been down there listening to his stories for an hour. He's the greatest. Oh, I was doing a, I was doing a column on Marusha, what would have been Marusha's hundredth birthday, and I said, "Man, this is what I miss, Sonmore. Mm-hmm. I could have made one phone call mm-hmm. to him, and I would have been good for, good for life." Yeah, he was great. He was, uh, and the thing about him, he was, he was such a passionate guy about hockey, you know, and life in general, and you could see that same passion when he got sober because he was bad drunk. Once he got sober the last time, I mean, he tried to cure the world. I was going to say, he helped a lot of people, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he's, uh, some some alcoholics are like that. Some of us just quit drinking. Right. <laughs> you know, and, but, Fair yeah, enough. I mean, Sonmore's, I don't know, greatest stories ever. Is, uh, I hadn't even thought about them, but there there was there was never, we used to, he used to call into Saturday Sports Talk once in a while just to, because he'd hear us babbling about something on hockey. And they'd turn into the 10 greatest minutes of all time because he'd have about seven stories that were just just hysterical. Yeah, 
Yeah, Sanmore is by far hockey wise. I mean, Louis a great character too. Sure, but uh, Louis a character in a different way because there's a right. There's a respectability about him. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, and there's a Glenn was a very I I admired him greatly, but he was a blue collar. Even though he coached the NFL, he was a blue collar. You know, and he Glenn was not going to go into the investment field and make millions after he was done coaching. No, and and like Bernsey, Glenn knew everybody. Oh, like yeah. you go back to the '50s and he oh, knew yeah. Oh, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah, heavens yes. I mean, what the heck is it? Wasn't his father-in-law the Johnstown Jets, which ended up being slap shot? Yes, right? I think you're the right. Whole thing. Yeah. So what's the one, the Sonmore story, though, where you guys were speaking, and was that in St. Paul? Oh, yeah, that was, I was, I was just been named a sports editor at 20, how old was I? 1970, they told me they were going to train me to become the sports editor, so I was 25 years old, and then in three years, I'd replace Ken Murphy, and then Ken died of a heart attack about a month later, and they gave me the job. Totally unprepared. Mm-hmm. All, all my, all of a sudden, I'm the boss of all my drinking buddies, which mm-hmm. is not, you know, all my contemporaries and all my drinking buddies, which is not going to work. But uh, I got invited out to speak to this nativity men's club. Probably gave me two hundred bucks, man. I crawl on my knees to get that back then in the early seven. And the Saints were just starting, so seventy two. Sure, yeah, that's be from the the Saints and Glenn was the voice of the Saints and. I showed up sober, which is congratulations to me. And and Glenn showed up pretty hammered with, he had a driver with him and he showed up and there's about the Nativity Men's Club. It's at the Schmidt Brewery and the Rathskiller downstairs, that big room. It must have been five, 600 people in that room. And there's about, there was a, there was a multitude of priests back then. I mean, they didn't. You know, they, there wasn't a shortage. And there was about three Monsignors and three priests in the front. Row and Glenn's argh, talking about how tough the Saints are going to be. We're going to beat the crap out of everybody. And he said, and I'm always, you know, we're going to drink, go out drinking, and then we're going to beat the hell out of everybody. And, you know, you know, and I've always said, if you can't bleep, you can't fight. <laughs> everybody goes, there's little tiny laughs. And, you know, luckily I was, I came on second. And I thought I was a respect. I was scared to death. I think it might have been the first speaking engagement of my life. But Glenn had set the, Glenn had set the bar so low that, <laughs> I, that I, I couldn't have screwed it up. You didn't have yeah. to worry about the bar being too high. They weren't. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he was a beauty. There's. There's been a few. Uh, Billy Gardner's underrated. Underrated. Great character. Twins manager. Yeah. Oh man, he was. Uh, he was funny. He was really funny. Just a one line guy. Starting with the fact, didn't he live at the whatever it was, he Super Eight? Super Eight. That yeah. became a story yeah. into itself. Yeah, the the uh, some guy I think stopped at Sensors and eighteen wheeler and had a few cocktails. And when he's leaving, he took out like a side of the building. And Slick's line was, "Ah, it's now the Super Seven. They call it. <laughs> but but the day he got fired, I remember I was out there. Who was out there with me? Uh must have been somebody from Minneapolis paper. I don't know who it was. I was still in St. Paul. We went out to see him. At the, he was still staying there. That's where he stayed. Twins manager. He stayed at the Super 8. In the, so he never left? In, in the season. No. In the season, we went out to see him, and he and he gets fired. And, you know, he's had a pretty good run. He went from Johnny Gorl got fired like a, six weeks into the 82 season, and he lasted until the middle of 86. And 
So four years. And, uh, you know, the phone rings. He says, must be Reagan. <laughs> you know, calling to say he was, he's still going. He's still alive. Billy. Is he really? Yeah. Testimony to the human spirit. You know, he's, but he's managing the twins. Yeah. And in the winter, he sold meat, sold hot dogs for some buddy of his. He was still a meat salesman in the winter. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's that's the way baseball was, you know. They, well, I knew it was a long Calvin time ago. I didn't realize by Calvin 80 whatever. Wasn't, Calvin wasn't. And then even Polad, they weren't paying him any money. Right. 300000 maybe 250000 I don't know what they were. Maybe not even that much. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but he was he was a funny guy, too. Most, my, I guess my favorite with him is 84. They're going on strike. Yeah, they still, oh God, they stink. No, no, not 82. 82. 82. 82, they're going on strike. Yep. And oh, do they stink. 17 and 39. They were 17. But they were, a, they were a much worse 17 and 39 than this team was because it was, that's what they were. That was how good they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team you kind of thought was, there was more there, but they were playing like idiots. But that team was 17 and 39. I remember one guy they had was Chuck Baker. Who oh, was yeah. A light hitting, slap hitting guy who belonged in double A, but the Twins were so bad. He was like their backup infielder. And he walking, we're in there with Gardner, and he's having a couple of cocktails after the game. And then you know they're going on strike. They're all packing, August 11th, they're all packing up their bags and duffel bags, and they're leaving with their stuff. And Chuck Baker walks by and. The door, and he says, "Ah, Chuck Baker. He's he's trying to protect his free agent rights." He says, three outfits want him: the Army, the Navy, and the Marines." <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Oh. Then he's just laughing about Chuck Baker going on strike. The guy's finally getting ten minutes in the big leagues. He's absolutely right about Chuck Baker. Oh, they're uh, they're fun when you run into them, though. Uh, the golf series that I did. Uh, had the confirmed hacker golf series I did when I went to St. Paul when I went to these uh, when I went to these small towns, and I did it for about six years, and uh, that was the thing. I'd always I'd always call up the course and I say, "Okay, I'm gonna be there in two days. These are small. Mm-hmm. I want to play with the four biggest idiots in town. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to play with the, you know, the goofballs." I think one of the first ones I ever went to was New York Mills, and. Uh, it was a the golf course was carved out of a sheep pasture, so there were actually sheep out there, and there were gates and you know fenced in gates, and a, it was the big animal vet from uh, New York Mills had run this, and he had his buddies, mm-hmm. and they came out and we we're going to play golf, and he introduced me to this guy. He says, "Inner uh, Bob, whatever their names," and then he said, "The one I remember is this is Delbert Sandbeck." Good guy, but he doesn't talk much since he got hit in the head in high school with a shot put. <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah, I can work with this. <laughs> this is going to work. This is ideal. So, yeah, you always look for that. Uh, you always hope you run into the goofball. But uh, uh, And, it's, you know, I, I I don't think it makes me unique. I've always had a great appreciation for the, uh, for the, the goofy. The guys who, you know, like the Rick Spielmans of the world drive me crazy. Yeah, because they don't say there's, there's no, there's no fun there. Right, you know? there's no personality there. Yeah, there's no. I mean, he's he's a good enough guy. I don't have any right. against him, but uh, 
It's it's hard. It's much harder to find them than it was really. I was going to say they're not. They're few and far between now. No, I think Boudreaux might have a shot. Yep, I think if you're right. he gets mad now, but but he probably doesn't want to be. I think to be a real character, you got to kind of enjoy it, don't mm-hmm. you? When you're depicted as one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I see that he he might not be enjoyed being depicted as one. There's that's a real thin line to be. Hey, I'm going to be a character. Right. Then, okay, they recognize me as a character, and I'm not going to fight it. You know, right. there's a thin line there, and I, I don't know. The, you know, the one guy in town who's kind of a character now is Leopold, I think. He's kind of a, he's kind of a character. Yeah, this is true. A rich, a rich, you don't find many rich guy characters, but he's one. But, uh, yeah. There aren't a lot of them. The big old boy here coaching football could be one. Plays? Yeah. In a... In a but you different might be, sort of way. But you might be right about the fact that there is a lot of guys. You know, it used to be, I think it used to be sort of accepted, hey, he's a character. And now when guys are, are labeled a character, they're like, oh, I don't want to be that. No, Because I, I don't want Mark Coyle to think I'm a character. And their teams don't want them to be. Right. Their programs. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Mark Coyle the, doesn't the want North, characters. The North Dakota State attitude that's out there. They want to uh, schmooze the message completely, right? Everybody wants to schmooze the message. You mm-hmm. know, and it's hard to schmooze the message. When you got a character, see, Calvin would not have been able to schmooze the message, no matter, no matter which is what made no, it so great. No yes. matter how many handlers you gave Calvin, he couldn't be able to schmooze the message. That's what I'm saying is I'm not sure there's any I'm not sure there's any real characters left now for the most part. There's people with personalities, yeah, because the football thing now, especially pro football, is you just don't have a personality for the most part. Oh no. If this was 25 Zimmer's, years ago, Mike Zimmer's. Zimmer would have been oh, yeah. a lot more fun, yes, though. Yeah. He tries hard. Well, if the worst thing that ever happened to Zimmer was the hard knocks. Yes. So he's trying to fight that image. I think if the if the public wasn't expecting the profane Mike Zimmer, you'd be getting him. But but now he fights against it, and the club doesn't want him to present that. I think Zim likes Zim likes in Mankato when they're on that middle field and not the one closest to the fans. Because oh, sure, right. a couple of days ago, I heard he stopped the drill and said, "Stop effing getting it wrong, effing get it right. Now get back in the effing huddle." <laughs> yes, but no one it. from the stands could hear that. No, Only we could hear okay. that. Okay, yeah. That's, so that's I think true, he likes being guys. on the middle field. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is amazing how uh, they they all want to schmooze the message. That's that's for sure. And uh, you know, it's it's hard to uh, they they're trying to schmooze the message, and then and then with Twitter and everything else, then the message becomes some wacky opinion offered by I don't know Joe Blow. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's just. It just gets uh, it's, it's, by by trying to schmooze the message, they kind of lose the message into hard. You get more hardcore, uninformed opinions because yep. they don't want to inform you. You know, yes. And so I don't know. It's uh, it's there. There haven't been many. Clem, uh, Clem was a character. Yeah, that's... Clem was a character. Clem was funnier now. Yeah, and uh, even when he's mad at you, he was. Uh, when I was, I think his second year. Uh-huh. Uh he hires Silas McKinney, who became a buddy of mine. I love Silas. But Silas had a quite the background as a recruiter down in uh South Alabama mm-hmm. trying to get Barkley and and this guy Danny Robbins was Newsday was like the one guy in the country doing college basketball 
football cheating stories. This was before ESPN, before Outside the Lines, any right. of that stuff. And Danny had done like a two-part series on Silas, so and his shaky uh, <laughs> recruiting tactics. And so somebody says, hey, look this up. So I don't even know how we were getting it. When, when did Clem come? What, 86? 86, yeah. yeah, 86. Yep. I guess we, yeah, you were getting it on a computer then, I guess. Somebody said, send me an email, or not an email, a phone call, and said, hey, look this up. So I looked it up. And so I call up Clem in 87 or 8, and uh, they, uh, Clem, I got this story here on Silas, so I got to ask you some questions about Silas. And he says, where are you at? I said, I'm in the uh, Star Tribune office. I'll be there in five minutes. And he comes, he storms over here, and he's got, he's got like two or three clippings of stuff I'd written during his first season. He's got yellow stuff circled and the whole thing. Look what you wrote this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, how about Silas? He said, I don't care about Silas. I want to, you know. And, I, and we, had a, we, had a big, uh, we had a big battle about that, although I, you know, he just screamed at me for a while and I mean, I, I suppose he carried some grudges. He didn't carry one against me, but he, he was. Uh, but he was a character. He was. He was uh, definitely a lot of fun. Uh, one of the great battles was always between him and Bracken on road games. Remember? Yes. And the year that Clem won the NIT, I think the one that counts. Didn't didn't the first one count? I'm not sure. I think it. No, I think it did. But Clem yeah. claimed they won five road games when they played three or won four road games. He played. Three of them at Target Center and one of them at Met Center. I, yeah, <laughs> I remember the one at Met Center against Clem, USC. Clem thought they were all road yes. games. They were road games. Clem Dennis, couldn't win on the road, and so he kept, kept 